1: Welcome to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a refreshing and captivating interview with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal some entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories, some you've never heard before. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me A Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me A Story I Don't Know is presented by Dynamic Manufacturing. Since 1955, Dynamic Manufacturing has a relentless commitment to quality and customer service when it comes to your automotive needs. They've been named General Motors Supplier of the Year 22 times, and whether it's remanufacturing, machining, electrification, motorsports, and much more, there's nothing Dynamic Manufacturing can't do. Find them on the web at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. And by Raul Jewelers, who offer the finest in rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and much more since 1982. They specialize in custom design. So if you're looking for that right gift, especially during the holidays, Head to Raw Jewelers on Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates, and they're on the web at RaulJewelers.com. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is also sponsored by the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats. Look for them at PolinaMarket.com and by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dogs and a landmark institution since 1893. They're located at ViennaBeef.com. This week, we feature our year-end best of an almost impossible task, considering every guest was intriguing, revealing, in some cases, vulnerable, in others, enduring adversity and heartache, and in a number of cases, some who were simply downright funny. Thus, 10 vignettes, beginning with John Paxson, the longtime member of the Chicago Bulls, who, in early 2020, decided it was time to leave his post as vice president and general manager of the team a tough decision after some 35 years with the organization, or was it? No, it, it, it wasn't tough at all, um, to be
2: honest with you, uh, because I had been looking at things over a period of time, um, and, you know, the, to be candid, the perception of our organization was poor, and it, it just, we, we had gotten into to a point where, Everything had become negative from the outside in. And, and there were even things inside the organization that, that were, were not what it needed to be. You know, it's, it's not uncommon and it's not unlike a lot of things where sometimes a new voice, a new perspective is needed uh, for, for a group to, to change and to look at things differently. And I, I felt that we had become somewhat complacent, and comfortable as an organization. And uh, so, you know, as when I went and, and kind of brought those things up, um, I believed them, and, and I thought it was the right thing for us to do.
1: Did Michael or Jerry try to talk you out of it?
2: You no, know, J- Jerry has always been, you know, he, he, he'd always say to me, you know, you're being hard on yourself, but that's the way it should be. And I think Michael saw it as an opportunity. And what I saw him do was, you know, he, he went out and really kind of researched how other organizations were set up and uh, looked at people around the league who had good reputations in the basketball community. And, um, and, and he started really diving into the, the idea of change. And um, criticism has never really bothered me. The thing that bothered me was was the, the perception of the, the Chicago Bulls. And I, I didn't like the fact that we were written about poorly. Uh honestly that our fan base wasn't enamored with you know wh- what we were doing. Um and that 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 those are the kind of things that that really did bother me. And I I felt it was it was the right time. I I, I could not I honestly couldn't couldn't handle the fact that, that the bulls were looked upon negatively and, and knew that there needed to be change.
1: Was it a relief for you to walk away? No,
2: <laughs> no, it wasn't really? a relief at all. You know, no, I, I, I think people can look at it that way, but no, um, I think you can look at it this way. Like a lot of people, when you invest a lot of time, a lot of energy, your kind of your heart and soul, you, you, You want it to work out so badly, right? I mean, you you just do. And, you know, I I often got got a hard time from people when I would even dare to bring up the fact that, that we had a really good thing going and Derek got hurt.
1: And the bull spiraled down from there. Dave Wanstead's career spiraled up and down after he was fired as head coach of the Chicago Bears in 1999. But in 2014, he embarked on a new path as a TV and radio analyst, and his career got a kickstart. What makes Wonstadt so appealing is the way he tells a story, and sometimes you just want him to take a breath so you can stop laughing. Here's one instance when he was named
3: head coach of the Bears. So I take the job. now they changed the role. The NFL changed the role because I accepted and came out and accepted the Bears job when I was still the assistant head coach of the Dallas Cowboys and defense coordinator. And it was during the bye week. So in other words, we beat San Francisco to, uh, to go to the champions, to go to the Bowl. And then the next day or two, I fly to Chicago. And it was two weeks before the game. So I fly out to Chicago and do my press conference. I accept the job the Monday after we beat the 49ers to go to the Super Bowl. I accept the job that Monday. And I fly out like the next day or two with my wife to do the press conference. And then I'm going to come back. And now I got to get ready to try to beat the Buffalo Bills and win this Super Bowl. So... As, as my wife and I fly out and and all I really got from Mike McCaskey, who was the president at the time, God bless his soul, and um, and his secretary was, this is where you're staying, the driver will take you up to the uh, Deer Path Inn, right there in in Lake Forest, and you're to check in under the name George Trafton. Now, I'm thinking of myself... George Trafton. Okay. So so I look him up and he's a great Bears player, the first center that ever played for the Bears in, in the 20s. First center they, that has a reputation of every snapping the ball with one hand, I guess is what he's known for. Mm. Great player, Hall of Fame player. So, okay. So I got this piece of paper with George Trafton. So I'm saying to my wife, wow, this is really secrecy here. Now, Mike, I don't see Mike McCaskey. He's going to see me the next day. No, no, he's, yeah, I think he's going to see me the next day. We're going to go out to dinner or something. But this is like check into the hotel, go to your room, check in under a false name, and someone will pick you up in the morning, and here we go. I said, I'm going to go along with it. Okay. Well, my wife and I get out of the car. I don't even get to the front door of the Deer Path Inn, and the doorman opens the door, and he says, coach, welcome to Chicago. (laughs) So I, I, I walk in the lobby and the guy right there says, can I take your bag coach? And I, so I look at my wife again. Now I, I got to go up to the front desk and tell this poor girl that I'm George Trafton. And I think, you know, and she looks at me and, and they're all standing there looking and. So I signed in under George Trapp. And I said to my wife, uh, this is ridiculous. These guys are going to take the, I need a drink. These guys are going to take the, <laughs> take, t- take the bags up to the room. And I turned to the guy he says, you have a, a little lounge area, a restaurant. Well, I'm going to get something to eat and have a beer. And he says, yes, downstairs. So my wife and I, we go downstairs and we sit down and we order something to eat the two of us in a booth. I remember it like yesterday. And, uh, you know, sure enough, the, the, the you know, the bartender, the waiter comes up. Hey, coach, welcome to Chicago. I mean, eh, there was no secret. Everybody in the hotel knew who we were and what we were doing. And um, I think my picture was <laughs> in the front page of the paper. <laughs> you know, I, in fact, somebody sent me a, a copy of the Chicago Tribune and it said he's the guy. And I was standing there on the sidelines of the Super Bowl in Dallas Cowboy gear. So, yes, they knew. Heck, yeah. Who didn't he's, he's but, the, he's the guy he's George Trafton. There you go. Yes. And then, oh, wow. It was a classic. I signed in under George Trafton. So I, I followed company line. So when Brian Harlan meets me and he doesn't even know that I'm in time and I'm the next head coach, did it surprise me? No, now hearing the story that, that, you know, everything that was going on, it, it didn't surprise me. I, I just kind of got a chuckle out of it. Oh, wow. It was a classic.
1: Who doesn't love jewelry? Who wouldn't love Rawl Jewelers? Family owned and operated for nearly 40 years, Rawl Jewelers offers the very best in fine jewelry and engagement rings, including mined and lab-grown diamonds. And they utilize the latest technology and offer jewelry repair on the premises. Rawl Jewelers has a glittering array of rings, necklaces, earrings, bracelets, and watches, and offers custom-designed jewelry on the premises. And if you have the most specific questions, Rawl Jewelers has four graduate gemologists on staff. With over 200 years of combined experience and expertise, it's no wonder Raul Jewelers is one of the leading shops of its kind. This is where my wife and I got our wedding bands many years ago, and it's safe to say when you walk in as a customer, you're going to leave as a friend. Raul Jewelers is located at 3001 Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates, right off I-90 West. Raul Jewelers, when only the very best will do. The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me A Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Hoffman, that's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We return to the best of year one on Tell Me A Story I Don't Know. And now a couple of stories about two famous or infamous sportscasters. Mark and Greco spent nearly 39 years on Chicago television delivering very creative packages, though he and Trouble met several times, the last of which got him fired by ABC Channel 7 in early 2021. Through the years, Gian Greco put together some wild shows, but the ones that really stood out happened during the TV sports wars of the 80s and early 90s and involved a former Bears defensive stud, Steve McMichael. This interview was conducted before it was revealed McMichael was diagnosed with ALS. The
4: primary battleground for sports back then were those Bears Sunday night shows. Channel 7 had Walter Payton and Jim McMahon. Uh, Channel 2 had Mike Ditka, and we at Channel 5 had Steve Mongo McMichael, who is the scariest, craziest guy I've ever met. But a lot of people don't realize he's also one of the smartest really introspective guys i've ever met and you know part of that was an act just like a pro wrestler and you know after his career he went into pro wrestling briefly but those sunday night shows were so outrageous and you know i'll tell these stories now and people will will just cringe but back then uh he would bring props he would think this thing out after every bear game He'd go out and just get absolutely hammered and he'd stumble down to the studio with his entourage, his wife, his mother-in-law, who had a filthier mouth than he did, you know, smoking butts and had a beer in her hand in the studio and they'd bring all their friends. (laughs) And, you know, Mongo would call his wife's friends her Kotex mafia. (laughs) I remember (laughs) And they would sit there as a studio audience and Mongo, like I said, had props. Now, one night, he brought in a giant, you know, uh, hypodermic needle, this prop mm-hmm. from some weird game show, you know, with a collapsible needle. And he said, you know, I've been hanging out with you pretty closely. I'm going to have to give you an AIDS test. <laughs> and he stuck it in my neck, and it looked like he put the needle right through my neck. Yeah. And ha, 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 oh, that was outrageous. That was crazy. Well, turns out the lead story on our newscast before Sports Sunday A woman died of AIDS contracting it from her dentist, okay? So that was it. So they fired him. And the general manager, if we back up a few years, came to me and said, hey, listen, why don't we hire Steve McMichael? He seems pretty crazy. And you can just control him. Well, I wasn't about to control him. I cut him loose. You know, I said, if you want the gorilla in the room, here you go. Mm
5: -hmm. So.
4: We did all kinds of bits. He'd bring his little dog Peppy on the set with a spiked collar. He would bring other players on the set. Did he hit you with a pie or something once? He'd hit me in the face with a pie. He cut off my tie. (laughs) He got me in a headlock and almost rendered me unconscious. He smacked my head on the set. We do all kinds of bits. Uh, I remember when the the airplane phone was a big technological advance and they'd be playing a West coast game against the Raiders or whatever. And he'd do the show on the phone from the chartered plane. And we did a cartoon. I drew a cartoon of him with his head sticking out of the plane. And he said, you better not be showing a picture of me with my head sticking out of the plane. <laughs> I'm like, no man, I would never do that. And we'd go on and on with that. But, Uh, He'd bring in other players who would beat me up. He would, uh, you know, light things on fire. So the night they fired him for that comment, he went in the lobby of Channel 5. and It was a brand-new NBC tower with this beautiful lobby and these huge murals of all these famous NBC broadcasters. He tore down every picture and smashed everything in the lobby. He had a can of spray paint that he used to bring all the time. And they had this beautiful you know, etched logo of the peacock in a huge glass entranceway. He sprayed genitals on the peacock and <laughs> they smashed the window. So and there were pictures of Jenny Jones and Jerry Springer uh, on the wall tearing those down. Oh gosh. Along with John Chancellor and everybody else. So those were the wild days, but also I remember taking my kids to Hallis Hall and he came up to me and said, Are these your kids? I said, Yeah and he said, I didn't even know you were married. He takes my boys who were probably eight and six at the time. And my youngest one was way too small to make the trip. Uh, he takes them to the locker room, gives them footballs, autographed jerseys, uh, sweatbands, headbands. And here's Richard Dent and a bunch of other guys smoking cigars, playing cards naked. But uh, <laughs> he, he was such a kind, introspective guy. We became great friends Uh, He was one of the smartest guys I ever knew. We'd be up in Platteville at training camp and uh, I'd be talking (laughs) to his wife who would show up. I mean, Deborah McMichael would show up, you know, in a bikini sometimes in spandex and she'd ride her bike up to me to my live shot location on top of the hill. And during calisthenics, he would turn and say,
3: I see you with my wife. I'm
5: going <laughs> to kick your ass.
4: So it would just go on and on oh, and on gosh. like that. It was must see television because people would first flip over to us to see what Mongo was going to do to me.
1: Call the dismissal of Gian Greco political correctness. The same could be said of Dan McNeil, the longtime Chicago sports talk show host who was sent packing in 2020 for a comment he made about an ESPN employee.
6: It's too correct for me, but I'm not making the rules. Um, You know, comedy is supposed to be cruel. By definition, we historically have laughed at the expense of others. Hopefully those of us who, who fire those salvos and make those jokes can take it when it's aimed at us. I'd like to think I can, and I have not so much initially, but as the years went on, I think I handled criticisms and even the harshest of criticisms better than most, because I knew I was going to be one of those guys who was dealing it at a high, high rate of volume and at a high, uh, high velocity. Um, it's an unfortunate thing that uh, that guys have to spend so much time thinking about what they know to be the available and funny home run punchline, but you can't tip it in anymore. You just got to let it you watch it bounce around on the rim. And by the time you make a decision to go for it, the ball's already in somebody else's hands. And that's an unfortunate way of having to do it. I read something recently Billy Crystal said about – about comedy and uh, you should search that. It's very, very on point. And um, it's sad because uh, everything has become so sanitized. And in the case of my tweet regarding Maria Taylor in September of last fall, it was about her fashion. It was not about the fact that she is a female reporter. It's not about the color of her skin, which is black. It was about the wardrobe she chose on Monday Night Football on ESPN, which was undeniably not what ESPN or other outlets had deployed in past years. It was unconventional at the least. I was guilty only of being old. I was not guilty of being a misogynist or a racist.
1: Listen up OEMs, first impressions are lasting ones. Dynamic Manufacturing's impressive complex in Hillside, Illinois includes nearly a million square feet of operating space. I had a chance to view some of it and I was overwhelmed by the organization, technology and dedicated workforce. Dynamic Manufacturing provides solutions for engineering, manufacturing, machining and logistics and they can re-energize your electric and energy storage systems. They can machine any project, no matter the size, and when it comes to motorsports, they're your trusted partner for chasing podiums with their custom torque converters. Dynamic manufacturing is your one-stop for all your remanufacturing needs, and they can't wait to engineer a custom solution for getting maximum value from experienced parts. Dynamic manufacturing, where there's nothing they can't do. Now, two men with somewhat similar stories. Both could have been big stars in Chicago, but life dictated otherwise. Michael Wilbon, co-host of the immensely popular ESPN production, Pardon the Interruption, grew up on the south side of Chicago and had made his mark at the Washington Post.
7: But then, opportunity knocked in his old backyard. In 1997, I'm going to say, just about 1997, when the great Bob Verdi, columnist for the Chicago Tribune and probably my favorite columnist of sports columnists of my lifetime. Um, Bob had decided he was going to semi-retire, do other things, but not write the daily column anymore. And I ran into him somewhere in the press box in America. And he said, um, it's time for you to come home. And I, I said, I, I come to Chicago all the time. What are you talking about? And he said, no, it's time for you to come home. I'm going to stop doing this every day. And you, you're the person who should succeed me. You're the person who should be doing this. And it it immediately freaked me out because, again, Bob Verde, to me, Bob Verde is the great columnist, Chicago sports columnist of my lifetime. And that's saying something because there were so many great columnists when I was growing up, you know, from Mike Royko and Bob Green, and you could be outside of sports or you could be inside of sports with so many wonderful columnists. And the Tribune then started talking to me about coming home in the late 1990s Um, I was coming home a lot anyway, because let's face it, if you were a sports writer then and covering the NBA at all, you were there for a lot of Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls activities over the years, right? I'd been there a lot. And I always wanted to come home. I I mean I wanted to I grew up wanting to work for the Tribune or Sun Times. I delivered them. I delivered both newspapers. (laughs) A maximum of ninety two houses on Yale and and Yale and Wentworth in the (laughs) from from when I was eleven. I had a paper route at eleven. 11 years old, so I had a paper route from 19 the summer of 1970 until I went to Northwestern, until I went to college. And um, 365 days a year, up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I tell my son that now, he doesn't believe me. But I wanted to work for the Tribune or Sun-Times. That was my goal in life, and the Tribune was going to make it possible. And I came home, I visited, there was a recruiting thing going on. One of the phone calls I get off of was from Jay Mariotti, Jay's at the other paper, Jay's at the Sun-Times, but Jay could foresee something I couldn't, and he was right, he could foresee sports writers on TV. He always thought that the next Siskel and Ebert weren't gonna be at the movies, they were gonna be at the arena, at the stadium, in a press box, and Mariotti always thought that. He thought that the two of us at competing papers like Siskel and Ebert would be on WGN. That's what he always thought. And he had it right. I mean, it didn't appear on WGN because I didn't come. Um, I just decided I had the best job I could possibly have at the time at the Washington Post. And I didn't leave to come home. And it was the hardest decision of my life. I mean, again, you know, there's been a lot of terrific columns. Chicago is a city that um, John Shulian, you know, was writing a sports column. You know, I, I wanted to join that roster of people. You know, at the so Skip Bayless wound up being the person that took that column after Bob. Skip Bayless wound up writing that column, and um, he and Mariotti were the columnists, sort of a record in town. Um, and, it, and it came out. I mean, they it, it, it continued to be great columnists. David Hall. I mean, they continued to be people that I certainly went out of my way to read. Man, I, I really. To this day, sometimes I walk down Michigan Avenue, particularly if I walk past the Tribune Tower, and I just wonder, what would have happened? What would my life have been like if I had come home?
1: Before Wilbon arrived at ESPN, Keith Olbermann had already become a legend there, dispensing brilliant and creative sports shows with Dan Patrick. But opportunity knocked, and again... It was the Windy City.
8: Well how about I almost quit SportsCenter in 1996 to go become a drive time radio host in Chicago, Illinois. How about that? We'll start with that one. A fellow named Doug Stern who was the the general manager of WMVP um, and he I believe he called my agent having said you know the guy we'd really like to have do our afternoon drive time here as we reconceptualize this radio station, is somebody like Keith Olbermann. So why don't we start with Keith Olbermann and see if he's interested? He said, uh, we're starting with, as this is the, as the annual salary. And the figure he quoted, George, was twice what they were paying me to host SportsCenter every night. You're kidding. No, no, no. It didn't pay because they were, you know, they had it, There was a buyer's market. So once he said this, it was like, well, I've always heard great things about Chicago, and I've never never been there. And at least I'll go out and see what's going to happen. So I get out and, and go on this trip. And first off, Doug Stern meets me at the airport, which made a good impression, and picks me up and takes me to the Drake and sets me up at the Drake Hotel. And we go out, and we have some steaks, and he's talking about the radio station, and they, they, they want a Don Imus kind of show. But instead of being, you know, politics and life, it would be sports and life. And they give me all sorts of latitude, and if 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 I wanted to do a TV sportscast, a local one, I could do that too during the radio show and make a lot more money. So now we're talking about this might the this thing might have been worth four or five times, uh, maybe more than that. What ESPN was, te- was 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 uh, paying me, and my contract was coming up at the end of '97 anyway. And the more he took me around and the more he assigned two people to take me around in particular, the more I liked Chicago. And the more this idea of doing a long three hour drive time radio show every day that would lead into white Sox games, uh, appealed to me. And we, uh, he put these two crazy guys, Spike and Harry (laughs) <laughs> uh well, you 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 should identify them to your to your audience i know uh, who they are <laughs> I, well you know who they are but i don't know who your audience does but they they were they were like the primary hosts there and these guys treated me like i was the messiah they were like Oh, my God, you'll save us. We won't be in last place anymore. <laughs> and it was and, and, and Spike said, and, and the, the, uh, just summarize these two guys. Harry is super hyper. Uh, and Spike is just sort of deadpan. And Spike went, so you're staying at the Drake? I said, yes, it's a great hotel. My sister's <laughs> getting married at the Drake. I said, that's great. Saturday, you want to go? I said, what? He said, yeah, I'm inviting you to my sister's wedding Saturday. Guy was staying like the, the three or four days and then the weekend. He said, yeah, we could just, yeah. I said, well, I look kind of funny there with going to your sister's wedding when I've never met your sister. And he goes, well, uh, I, we can get you a date. <laughs> and he said, so I went to his sister's wedding and met her and had a date and met her. Everywhere I went, somebody was giving me something, a free meal, a beer. and I, They take me to bowls practice and, and Dennis Rodman comes over and goes, what are you doing here, man? You already have a job. What are you doing here? you're trying to get another job aren't you what are you doing we go and work for one of the stations here and I went will you shut up and it just went on and on and on and the more we talked about how this was going to go the more I liked it it was like very challenging very lucrative I looked into buying condos it's like wait the cost of living in Chicago is only like five percent bigger than the cost of living in Bristol Connecticut are you kidding me and finally, Friday night, we were going to go to dinner. The general manager, Stern, and I were going to dinner. And at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, I'm going to tell them, let's try this. Let me see if I can get ESPN to let me go early. I think they probably will. Let's do it. And as I'm getting dressed for dinner, the phone rings. And he says, uh, change in plans. And I said, what, what's that? He goes, well, the owners of the station came back from the corporate meetings. And they've decided that being in 31st place, It'd be much easier and much cheaper if they simply took the station off the air rather than hired you for this enormous amount of money. Oh,
1: my goodness.
8: So everybody that you're going to go to that celebratory dinner with tonight is fired, but they don't know that yet. And I'm leaving for San Francisco for my new job at 8.30 p.m. So I'm sorry about the sudden notice, but I really couldn't tell you the whole thing. Bye. So I'm I'm already supposed to go to dinner and then meet uh all the all these got harry and spike and every other host at that station i'm supposed to meet them at we're supposed to start at stanley's was the name of the place and i'm and i'm like i know that all of these people have a death sentence that they don't they think everything has gone well they think i'm moving here i'm leaving on a plane in you know right after spike's sister's wedding <laughs> oh, i wonder if they're canceling the wedding now too
1: Ever been to the Polina market? If not, what are you waiting for? It's been Chicago's premier market for the finest meats and much more since 1949. Their steaks are top of the line, but there's also chicken, fish, and those mouthwatering sausages. And you might spend hours just perusing their frozen food section, all made fresh. And now the expanded Polina market offers beer, wine, and sandwiches. It's become a one-stop shop, making your in-store experience well worth your time. And you can still order online. I've been shopping here since 1984 paulina market is simply the best and conveniently located at 3501 north lincoln avenue in chicago check them out on their impressive website at paulinamarket.com no one i mean no one does hot dogs better than vienna beef That's because they've been doing them since 1893. Imagine biting into a delicious all-beef Vienna hot dog dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and celery salt. And just try that on one of their Polish sausages. Vienna products are available everywhere from your supermarkets, restaurants, the ballparks and zoos, just to mention a few. And you can purchase them online at ViennaBeef.com. And look for their farm acres chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic Delhi meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. We all battle through adversities. The next two guests did, only one fought a disease, while the other endured the indignity of family strife. A thoughtful Sarah Kustak, she of the Yes Network, faced such a hurdle in 2014 when her father was found guilty of killing her mother.
9: Yeah, George. The only thing I'll say on that, and it's it's not something that we really talk about publicly or, or get too deep into. Um, but the thing that I think about, the thing that someone told me early on, um, and there was so many, um, so much support, especially coming from Chicago um, friends, family. You know, those I worked with. You mentioned it, the the media attention, but also those who were my friends in the Chicago media. It meant the world to me. Um, The one thing I held on to and the thing that I continue to hold on to when I think about on a daily basis is a dear friend told me, you will always be your mother's greatest legacy. And I think about the absolute angel that she is, she was, um, and that everything I am is because of her. Um, And so that's that to me is my focus, um, that to me is my strength, that to me is how I I find and protect my peace. And I'll continue to do that because as we know, um, and George, you know this, uh, in this business and all business and professions and all sorts of things that um, matter to people, the thing that matters most to me is the person that I am and how I treat people and how I treat others. Um, I'm So grateful to get to do what I do um but you never know how long things will last we always know that this is a very subjective business um some people may love you and some people may not like you um but the thing that matters to me at the end of the day in the morning all day when you look in the mirror um what type of person are you and if you could be good with that and so i think Um, at the core of me, uh, that's, that's what I try to focus on to really continue to maintain a strength and maintain a peace.
1: Speaking of maintaining a strength, Eddie Olchek had to. The longtime analyst for the Chicago Blackhawks, NBC Sports, and now ESPN and Turner, learned he had contracted a dreaded disease that took a happy-go-lucky guy into a dark place.
10: When I was told on August the 4th of 2017 at 7.07 p.m. that my tumor had been sent out for a biopsy and it came back, uh, stage 3 colon cancer, when I heard those words from Dr. Scott Strong at Northwestern Memorial Hospital, the first thing I thought of was, Okay, well, how long do I have to live? And I was scared. Uh, As I said, I wasn't a tough guy ever. But when I went and met with Mary Mulcahy, my oncologist at Northwestern, we had a 48 minute meeting. I don't know how I remember it was 48 minutes uh, long, George, but we had a meeting, my wife, myself and Dr. Mulcahy. And the only thing I remember in that conversation was And I had the 1,000-yard stare sitting in his office thinking, I'm sick, I've been told I have cancer, and I'm getting ready to start chemotherapy. I had the 1,000-yard stare going. I did not hear any of the conversation until Dr. Mulcahy said, Eddie, look at me. And I looked her in the eyes, and she said to me, I am here to treat you. I am here to cure you, not treat you. Do you understand the difference? And I shook my head, and... I said, okay, so what you're telling me, doc, is I'm going to go through six months of chemo. I'm going to trade in six months of hell for 50 more years. Is that what you're telling me? And she says, that is my hope, Eddie. And I said, okay, where do I sign? And I started my treatments, George, on September 11th of 2017, my first treatments. I took two chemos, one at the hospital, and I took one at home for 48 hours. And If anybody, and we're all touched by this horrible disease, but if anybody knows anything about chemo, it has the ability to break you down. It brings you to your knees. Uh, I had terrible side effects from headaches, to nosebleeds to neuropathy, to blood clots, to just going to the bathroom without having to go. Like I would just, I would just crap the floor. And I was thinking, how am I gonna, how am I gonna live like this now? but how in hell am I gonna get through the next, next six months of this and not even know what's on the other side? So I got the treatment too, and this is probably the most uh, impactful part of my whole journey is I had my second treatment and it, brought, it broke me down, it, it brought me to my knees. And I just told my wife, I'm done, I quit. And George, I had never quit in anything in my life. Uh, when people told me I would never make the NHL because I was a American kid from Chicago and those and, and those type of players don't ever make it to the NHL, they told me I would never make it. They told me I would never play on the U.S. Olympic hockey team because I was trying out at 16 years of age. I had people tell me I could never become the first American board lead. I, I would never become the first born American lead analyst on national television in the U.S., to call hockey games. George, when I was down 200 bucks at the racetrack, well, I'll check that. If I was ever down $2,000 at the racetrack, I was not quitting. I was not gonna bail. But the cancer and the chemo brought me to my knees and I told my wife, I quit, I can't live like this. And I was scared. And my wife grabbed me and she looked at me, George, and all Diana said is, you gotta fight. You gotta fight for me you got to fight for our four kids, and you got to fight for all the people that love you.
11: God, everybody wants to know how's Eddie,
10: so uh, hey, give partner. us everybody an update. Well, we're, uh, we're in a battle, and uh, we're going through our treatments right now, and uh, I'll have my third treatment on Monday. Uh, it's uh, I, the support that I've had, Pat, from you, from the Blackhawk organization, uh, Rocky Wirtz, John McDonough, Jay Blunk. Dr. Michael Terry, who has spearheaded everything for me with all my treatments and all the great folks over at Northwestern Hospital, the support of my, uh, my family, my friends, and uh, all the great Blackhawk fans and all the hockey fans out there and the horse racing fans <laughs> uh, uh, and all the people that, uh, that grabbed me and sent cards and texts and emails. And- we did a lot of crying. We had a moment that lasted 30 minutes. I cried for 35 of it and I just, I reset George. I I reset and I said, you know what? I'm just gonna go day to day. I'm just gonna go day to day and whatever happens in six months and we reassess, then I'll worry about that. But all I'm gonna do is live day to day. And to tie it all in, when I was going through my cancer battle, George, I was very much at peace. Even though I was scared, even though I was worried, I didn't want to die. Even though all of that, I was still very much at peace, meaning I've always let the most important people in my life know how I felt about them, whether it was my wife, my kids, my parents, my brothers, my closest friends. I've always had the ability, and I don't know where I learned it. I think it's a gift, is to express to somebody, hey, you know what? I just want to let you know how important and impactful you've been in my life and if god forbid if something ever happened you need to tell me that you know how much you've meant to me. And I've always gotten the same response when I've done that. Shut up, nothing's going to happen. You you know, what do you you know, don't talk like that or whatever. But you know, I just always I just always did that. I just always had the ability to express to people how lucky and blessed I've been and grateful to have them in my life. And George, that helped me get through, and I will close it this way, is that there are many people out there that are affected by this disease, and it has this ability to test you and challenge you in ways that you can never imagine. And just to let everybody know out there, you are way tougher than you ever thought you would.
1: You are way tougher. We conclude the best of year one with two individuals who have great passions. One happens to be the youngest of our 38 guests, but Adam Amin had already achieved great success even before he reached his 30s. While he wanted to be the play-by-play voice of the White Sox when an opening became available, he also understood why the job went to another 30-something. But as it turned out,
11: it all worked out quite nicely. It wasn't anger. It wasn't sadness. I think you're right. It was disappointment. I just thought, man, the White Sox job would just be a great job to have. It's an up and coming, you know, core of a roster there. You know, the, the ballpark's three miles from my apartment, which is probably the most, uh, you know, appealing thing just to have a, a local job. And it's baseball, you know, that this is where I grew up. I grew up on, I grew up in this business on calling it. And I grew up, As a kid, watching it, and that—that being the sport that I was most attached to, even if it was for the team on the other side of town. And when Jason got it, I again, I had no resentment or anger towards him. I was just disappointed. And then you get get a chance to kind of learn. Oh, Jason grew up as a pretty hardcore White Sox fan. You know, they they show. I think when he got the job, they showed like the drawings he had from when he was a kid, and (laughs) you know, and things like that. And it's like, how do you argue with that? It's such a great story. And obviously he's an an exceptional announcer as well. But I mean, that goes without saying, I I just felt like, well, maybe he's the right guy for the job. And I think four years later, five years later, whatever it is, I think we all kind of watch games and listen to games and go, yeah, I think they made the right move. I think it was the right person. I think he was right for the job. The job is right for him. And I didn't think much of it because, you know, this is one of those sliding doors moments where, He gets the White Sox job, but that opens me up in the spring to do the NBA and to do the NBA playoffs specifically on on radio and a little bit on television. You know, both Jason and I were working at ESPN at that point. So we're both kind of on similar trajectories, but maybe different parallels. And this allowed me to kind of separate myself and and be, you know, be focused on that sport and get to do it at a really high level. And because of that experience. It got me an earlier opportunity with the Bulls. And I think having coming in with a lot of comfort on the, on the NBA itself and having a rapport with Stacy, I think that led to, you know, maybe being one of the, one of the candidates for the Bulls job. I, I don't doubt that. And it's very much a what could have been type of scenario. You know, it, it, we easily could have swapped jobs. And by the way, you know, I, I'm happy to fill in for Jason when he needs it. You know, for the White Sox, he just hasn't needed it very often. And he fills in on the bulls when I'm when I'm on assignment for Fox.
1: And finally, one of my favorite interviews, Peggy Kaczynski, the longtime and well-decorated sportscaster at NBC Five for a number of years opened many doors about her life and career, but especially one about something so dear
0: to her heart and
1: her stomach.
0: Oh, George, I cry when Michelin-starred chefs cook for me. I know this is crazy. Uh, I'm a I'm a foodie wannabe. On the scale of foodies, I'm somewhere around a two and a half out of five. That's, that's what I would say. Um, when we travel, my husband and I, when we travel uh, around the world, our dinners revolve around the Michelin Guide. We collect menus and pictures of uh, great chefs, and I have them framed in my kitchen. You know, I think the bottom line to all of this <sighs> is you really like food. I, I like <laughs> food, but you know what, George? I appreciate their artistic talent and vision more so. I mean, I just truly appreciate their art, their vision, and their skill because, you know, it's like for some people, it's like meeting athletes. For me, it's meeting world-renowned chefs.
1: Would you say you're a food snob?
0: I'm a wine snob. I fully admit to being a wine snob. (laughs) And do you know what I did during the pandemic? I took the level one wine course with WeSet. So, level one, you know, if you were going to be a sommelier, uh, level one is the introduction. Level two is you learn more about regions and terras, and level three is truly the sommeliers that you will meet uh, in restaurants. So I took the level one wine class. Uh, I'm a wine snob, and my goal was to stop being so snobbish and picky about the wine I drink and to open up my world a little bit more. So I took the level one.
1: My thanks to all of the guests we featured during the first year of Tell Me A Story I Don't Know, and it was clearly a rewarding one. And there's much more in store in 2022. Gracious thanks to our sponsors, the Polina Market, Vienna Beef, Rall Jewelers, and Dynamic Manufacturing for their great support. And my humble thanks to TJ Reeves, Will Hatzel, Tatiana Shinken, and Nick Tochi for playing such an integral role in giving this podcast life. And all of you who took the time to listen, we simply say, keep listening, and please tell your friends. Tune in January 18th for the start of Season 4 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote.
11: The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, B-E-E-T-S dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.
5: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.